Well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to Advance Your Wealth with Homer Smith. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. Good to be back with you all today. And of course, I'll be joined by the star of our show in Homer Smith, private wealth advisor. And we're going to be diving into a really unique wealth management topic. And we've invited a special guest to join us here on the show today. And before we bring that guest on and say hi to Homer, I want to frame up today's conversation by sharing with you a little bit about our guest's bio, and then of course, how that's going to work into today's discussion. So today's guest that's joining us is, is Mr. Adam Butler, and Adam is the Chief Investment Officer uh, of Resolve Asset Management Global, and he brings about 15 years worth of experience in investment management, including 12 years as a portfolio manager, and Adam also holds both the CFA as well as the CAIA charters. Now, Adam is primarily responsible in his role for research efforts that are related to the management of different investment portfolios. And why I bring this all up today is that we're, yes, going to be diving into an investment-heavy conversation today, but particular in particular, that is, we're going to be diving into where AI, you know, we've heard so much conversation in the last year and change about how AI is changing so much of what we do in the world. Well, today we're taking a look at how it can kind of leave its mark on the investment management side of things. So first, let's go ahead and say hi to Homer before we bring Adam out here. Homer, it is good to see you today. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Ryan, good to see you as well. I'm, I'm doing well. Excited for this conversation. A little different, you know, while it's going to be you know, we'll, we'll definitely throw some investment themes into it. Really, it's uh, we're going to make it pretty wide ranging and conversational just around, you know, what what should people be thinking about um, in their day to day lives? And but also from a business owner perspective, too, how should you be you know, taking advantage of and or thinking about the implications of, of how people might be using these tools uh, going forward as well? So excited for the conversation. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good stuff to get into. Uh, Homer, why don't we start kind of from a high level? How did you get to know Adam and, and kind of bring him into your professional and personal circle? You know, where did that begin? And and then, of course, uh, you know, we'll dive into the, the AI related conversation afterwards. Yeah, I, I met Adam and his team at Resolve a couple of few years ago as we were working on our overall uh, all weather approach to investing and, and Resolve and their team do a great job of uh, research and analysis uh, on that whole world. And that's how we got to know them. And then, um, you know, Adam listened to one of his podcasts recently where he focused on this and some of the, the rabbit hole he's been going down and, uh, you know, this would be a really great conversation to bring to our audience as well. So that's, that's how this came about. Awesome. Well, thanks Homer. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and bring Adam on and open up today's discussion. Adam, it's good to see you. Welcome aboard. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat about this. It's been a real focus of mine for the past two or three months. Um, so much to say. So, um, yeah, let's do it. All right, Adam. Well, I, uh, I'm assuming when this year started, you didn't think you'd be kind of the, uh, the, the guest expert on financial podcasts for, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, AI and all that, but, uh, obviously know you well through the resolve, uh, relationship. And then I was listening to the RCM podcast that you were on, uh, with Taylor from mutiny and, um, you know, the rabbit hole you've gone down in the last few months with this. And as like, you know, I'm just barely scratching the surface myself uh, with using some of the tools and I'm trying to encourage our team to use them and take advantage of them. And as like, yeah, this, this would be a perfect conversation, not only for, you know, my own interest and in what we should be doing as a wealth management firm, but, you know, most of our clients are business owners and they're going to see either some level of disruption or some ability to take advantage of these tools. And uh, this would be a, just a, a great conversation to have on number one, just some base education 
what are all these terms mean? Chat GPT, AI, machine learning. Well, how does all that fit in? And then, and then, yeah, let's let's talk about just some um, some ways people should be taking advantage of this, and what are some maybe the risks and concerns that people might be having. So I know it's pretty wide ranging, but but I'll, I'll give you a chance, you know, do a little bit deeper too, um, you know, kind of how you got into this world, and then ultimately how you chose to go down the rabbit hole on uh, on AI a couple of few months ago. Sure. So as you know, Resolve is primarily a systematic global macro firm. So we do have um, strategies that are a little bit more strategic asset allocation in the flavor of the kind of all weather models that um, you and we have discussed at length. Um, and then we also run more sophisticated, um, more active, um, you know, systematic models based on trend and carry and seasonality and relative value and, and um, other sources of information that sort of guide whether we're going to be long or short in a wide variety of different asset classes. So, you know, my role is um, partly kind of to guide the research process, partly to get my hands dirty and, and do research from time to time. So I do have a background in programming and have obviously needed to get up to speed in best practices and all the best tools for um, machine learning and applied statistics that have been made available over um, the last decade, especially. Um, and I also am in charge of, of needing to be looking a little bit over the horizon at what's coming, um, both in terms of forming in potential investment theses, are there new markets or instruments, et cetera, that we should be focused on? Um, is there an incentive to maybe trade individual securities because uh, wealth is being created in much more concentrated areas of the economy than we're used to historically. And we need to be able to access some of those more concentrated areas. Like for example, the fact that I think seven stocks are responsible for basically the entire move higher in the S and P yeah. this year. And all of the other stocks in the index are either flat or down. Right. So, um, you know, that speaks to a, a rare, concentration of wealth creation. And if you don't have the ability to get a little bit more narrow in your focus um, going forward, then there may be substantial opportunities that are sustained over many years that you may not be able to effectively capture, right? Yeah. So when AI, when some of these new large language model tools came out sort of middle of last year, you had sort of GPT-3 and then ChatGPT and now GPT-4, um, I saw these as potentially extremely disruptive technologies that may guide a research um, reorientation at Resolve over the next few months, but also as just a massive shift in um, how business and society is going to use machines as tools and just an enormously forward in the utility of machines in um, a much wider array of different task modalities than I think we've been used to thinking about using machines. Um, and it just happened to coincide with a part of our research cycle where we are doing a lot of work on, on the uh, data and trading and execution infrastructure and a little bit, taking a little bit of a pause on uh, core research. Uh, so I had some time to spend you know, more time during the day and during the week and as it turns out, because I was I, I was quite passionate about it, many evenings and weekends to you know 
climb this steep learning curve. So I think that's been really useful. My wife calls herself an AI widow at the moment, but I am convinced that it's, um, it's going to pay off both in terms of um, as a force multiplier on our research process and just in terms of all of the different ways that it can be used to scale different dimensions of our business and potentially, you know, other businesses that we interface with. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the big question a lot of people have is what's this going to be long-term implications? But before we dive in, again, I listened to your uh, interview uh, on the RCM podcast, um, which I thought was really good. Uh, one of the things that was helpful for me, even as being a relative novice to this, is getting some uh, initial education on what are the, all these terms mean. So I think it would be helpful since you've gone down that that rabbit hole pretty well, you know, chat GPT versus, you know, GPT versus LLMs and AI in general, what, what are all in, in, in the ones that you think um, people are going to run into most commonly? What, what are they and, and how should people be thinking about that as a baseline thought process going into this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. We've had all kinds of words uh, enter or terms anyways, enter the broad kind of lexicon over uh, the last, just the last several months. You know, we've been talking about AI in a very loose way for many years. I mean, obviously science, science fiction authors um, have been writing about AI um, for at least the, or into the early uh, last century and probably before. And neural nets, which are the basic underlying architecture of a lot of the uh, tools that we're starting to call AI, I think more confidently over the last few months are built on this neural net architecture that um, had its origins in the 1980s. There were some substantial theoretical and technical uh, upgrades that um, were kind of discovered in the late knots that really empowered this, this acceleration of the utility of neural nets um, and allowed the development of these large language models, which are really um, deep neural networks with um, what's called a transformer architecture. Um, and really what we're doing here is we are learning from an extremely large corpus of uh, language-based data. So basically call it the entire public internet. Um, and, the, and this neural network transformer architecture um, is able to learn the deep semantic and, and syntactic structures that underlie language, the rules of language that give it meaning and structure um, that allow us to have a, um, an, agreed up an agreed upon format for communication. Um, and in the process of learning these um, deep structures about language, it also seems like these language models learned about the deep structures of a lot of the content that is discussed using language, right? In technical white papers, in um, tutorials on uh, subjects that, that are you know, published on the web, in textbooks, et cetera, that, that it digested. And what we're seeing is that these large, the, the largest of the large language models like GPT-4, for example, from OpenAI, seems to exhibit um, a strange amount of embedded um, high-level cognition. And if it's not understanding in a sort of pure sense, 
it, it resembles understanding in its ability to synthesize and summarize and, and innovate, create new um, versions of the things that it learned about on, on the web in the form of new, uh, new proteins, new chemicals, um, new, uh, new fundamental materials, new fundamental theorems. And um, this is, I think, was largely unexpected from okay. the training model that the obviously technical people that, that trained these models, um, it went way beyond what they expected, I think. And we continue just to discover new modalities of expertise and emergent properties from these models that were entirely unexpected even a year or two ago. I think a lot of people listening to that, I think, you know, hear a lot of very technical science-based uses and discoveries out of it. And they're like, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, but how is this applying to me? How can I use this? Or where where is it going to get the most, at least current form, benefits from an everyday person or a business owner, CEO? You know, is it, you know, is it just a better Google search? You know, or is it something much more than that in terms of what they can use it for to save time, you know, bring bring resources to 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 the forefront for for themselves or their staff? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is obviously front and center. I hosted a um, a session um, in for my local CFA group, and we had about ninety people uh, come, and it was by far I've I've hosted probably a half dozen of these sessions over the years. And it was by far the most engaged group that I've ever experienced. It was 90 minutes of case studies, examples, questions. And I mean, I think everybody is really just wondering, A, how disruptive is this going to be? You know, if I'm a, if I'm a successful business owner or a successful practitioner, um, you know, am I going to be displaced? Yep. Uh, is my product going to be displaced? Um, and on the other side of the coin, how can I put this new tech to work to better position my company to compete, to scale, to deliver our services or products more efficiently um, and to improve our general market position and economics? And I mean, I, I think a really good and interesting place to start and actually the place I started at my recent session was by just showing the most recent Microsoft teaser about how they're building GPT-4, the OpenAI large language model architecture directly into Windows and in particular, the Office 365 suite. So, you know, it'll, it's gonna, they've worked out how to preserve the security and privacy aspects that you expect when you are a business owner or an individual and you sign up to use Microsoft services. You know, obviously you expect the, the email and the documents and content and the things that you store um, on your drive at Microsoft, et cetera, to be private and secure. But at the same time, um, what they've demonstrated is that you can use AI to access that content in a secure way in order to make use of, uh, synthesize, summarize, generate new content that can save you countless hours, right? If you just think about email, imagine having an AI that's able to prioritize your email based on a semantic understanding of um, what 
is being talked about or discussed in the email and in the context of an understanding of who those emails came from. Did it come from your boss? Did it come from a subordinate? Did it come from a client? Um, and, and then be able to order those emails in your inbox accordingly. Um, then when you go to open up the, the email, the AI has already generated a reply for you that has you know, understood your voice, right? Yeah. Your writing style by digesting thousands of emails and other pieces of content that you have created that are stored on the, your Microsoft instance. So it's a draft. Almost certainly you're gonna to have to um, make edits to that draft, but just imagine the amount of time saved in having a draft for every email um, already present when you open up your email, right? That's just um, scheduling, translating tasks in your calendar into tasks on your task list and vice versa, scraping tasks out of emails, putting them in your calendar, putting them on task lists. All of these kind of components are, are really important. That's just email and calendaring. Obviously you, you can ask it to the AI with, um, you know, this, these tasks require a bit of learning and practice, but when you get reasonably skilled at this, which, you know, to get decent at it is a few hours work, it can generate highly technical or, or highly comprehensive documents in Word for you. It can uh, fully act as a copy editor um, for entire documents or, uh, you know, sections or paragraphs it can re re if you have an existing document, it can rewrite it for a slightly different purpose. Imagine you've got a, an offering memorandum for a, a fund right now. I need to send that offering memorandum or ask a you know, legal team, you know, who's going to charge me 1200 bucks an hour in order to basically take, you know, a template of an offering memorandum that they've been using for all their other funds make a small number of changes to it in order to meet my use case, right? Now I can get a head start on that. Will I rely on that as the final legal document? Probably not for a while, right? But now I can send back a draft that is already recrafted to the lawyer. And instead of sending, spending 10 hours on it, maybe they can spend two, right? So dramatically <clears throat> reducing your, your legal bill, or you've got an IPS template, investment policy statement template, and you've got a, you know, a client profile. Well, you can ask the AI to create a new IPS in the style of this template, incorporating the specific details of a client. I mean, these are just basic use cases, but you can see how this can go yeah. one way. And that's not even touching on the analytics that once you embed it in Excel, et cetera. So I just sent an email to, to my ops guy today and said, Hey, is it, I want to explore, we got to obviously check with compliance and all of that, but you know, if we're doing a client meeting and we've got AI, you know, one of these you know, plugins, uh, transcribing the meeting can understand who was saying what, and then can we feed like chat GPT or GPT for like our standard summary letters for a client that kind of outlines, like here's five of them in my voice to then take this transcript, summarize it down, and then put it into a draft summary letter that would look like what we've done before. Is that kind of the possibility with this kind of stuff to dramatically cut down on the time staff might be taking to try to summarize that? That's a textbook use case. Absolutely. I mean, if you've got several examples of these summaries in your voice and 
the transcript of a meeting, um, it is a trivial exercise to ask, for example, GPT-4 to integrate the uh, content from this meeting into a, a, a summary document modeled after these templates. I, I use that all over the place. For example, you know, we also run a podcast. Each podcast needs to have a landing page summary. I have a template landing page summary from a previous podcast. I feed it in the transcript of the podcast, an existing landing page summary in the format I want, and then ask it to create a brand new landing page summary based on this new context in the format of the template. And, you know, this works pretty well um, to 95 to 100% exactly what we want, um, 95 to 100% of the time. Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, for people just getting started, um, thinking about this here and saying, okay, I sounds impressive that I could save that kind of time or, or make that kind of a, bit, a difference. How do they get started? What's going to what's going to be the first thing they should try to? to you said two to three hours, probably of time to learn this. What's what should be a first step for most people? <clears throat> I think the biggest hurdle for most people, I think, is either um, just a, a little bit of a intimidation with 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 technology or this technology in general. You know, how do I get set up? I've got to find. You know, I got to go to OpenAI. I got to open an account, um, etc. Uh, I mean, really, to get the full understanding of what this technology is capable of, you've got to sign up for OpenAI GPT, uh, ChatGPT Plus, and that gives you access to GPT four. And GPT four is the most capable, largest, most complex language model, and it is capable of, uh, first of all, um, one of the important things when using a, a, these language models is you, you've got to be able to give it instructions. And there's an instruction window called a context window. And at the moment, the original ChatGPT or GPT 3.5 Turbo has a maximum context window length of about 3,000 words, OK? which sounds like a lot, but it's obviously not enough to put a legal document in, for example. Um, the GPT-4 has a context window length of about 6,000 words. So that gives you a lot more capability. But the other thing that GPT-4, um, it has a, a wide variety of just better cognitive capabilities. It's able to synthesize ideas more effectively. It has a longer memory in the chat. Um, it's able to... Um, render according to detailed instructions more effectively, follow specific patterns of output more effectively. Um, it has quite a rich theory of mind. It can solve a much wider array of more complex problems. And I mean, it's amazing, but this service costs $20 a month. And for that, you get 25 queries to GPT-4 every three hours which is more than enough for most people's use cases. I run out on occasion because I actually use it for coding purposes. You know, I, it will actually generate entire full code stacks, right? So I have no background in developing front ends for software. In other words, um, web interfaces. 
um, for software. Um, if I present it with code on a back end, it can develop an entire front end for me and give me instructions on how to deploy it. Um, so, you know, that sometimes requires more than 25 queries every three hours, but it's more than enough for most people's use cases. And then the other major uh, challenge is a kind of a lack of imagination or just not being used to thinking about the everyday tasks in your life or the tasks that come up that this kind of solution may be really effective for, you know? Um, it turns out I had a, my, my brother wanted to revisit his, uh, his will. So I thought this was a really good use case for me to, um, first of all, help him out with revisiting his will and also walk him through how to use this language model um, to help develop the will, right? Yep. So, you know, I, I asked it, you know, what sort of questions, first of all, you need to learn how to use this. And there's, there's a number of hacks that just make the tool infinitely more effective. So if I just say, write me a will, right. you're going to get a really poor output. If I say act as a senior estate lawyer familiar with Canadian um, and Ontario estate law, um, uh, describe the key elements of a standard will. And it'll give you, you know, a list of key elements, right? Um, mm -hmm. What are some other less common elements that are useful in a will? Here's some more elements, right? Great. Um, now create a set of questions that will allow me when I will, will allow you when I answer these questions to fill in each of these sections of the will. So, okay, he produces, the, the tool produces a list of questions. And then you set about responding in the chat to each of these questions as comprehensively as you can. When you respond, you say, you know, uh, ask me for more detail where required, um, where my answers invoke other questions, ask me those questions. And we go through this process iteratively until it's asked all of the questions necessary. And then it uses all of the sections and all of my questions to produce a personalized will. Now, am I gonna go get that will notarized and file it away? No, right? But no. am I gonna take it and, and have a lawyer review it rather than having to go through this whole process with a lawyer and all the costs associated with it and extra complexity? Yeah, and it's gonna save my, my brother some money, right? But more importantly, perhaps, it was a really good way for my brother to get an illustration of some effective ways to use the tool, um, how it can be used, and hopefully stimulate his imagination about how he might be able to embed the tool into his life and his work to make things easier or um, more scalable or more effective. So as you've gone down deep into this, cut, I mean, I, I see, you know, we look at ourselves a lot like this for clients where we'll do a lot of the work for them, you know, on a complex legal issue or tax issue, where we'll do a lot of research, put together the basics, the the case design, and then take it to an attorney to try to save some of that time and, and cost. So I could obviously see how this even for us would be, would be valuable to learn how to, to use that effectively. Um, where can this go wrong though, you know, or where are the concerns people have, you know, I think about education and uh, the ability to write a, uh, 
you know, an essay and, you know, now people are getting good at this can go effectively create a really good essay. I imagine on almost any topic with the right prompts. Um, what are the implications for that? I've heard lots of things from now, you know, schools are having to figure out, a their own AI to see if someone used AI to write a, to write an essay. Um, what, what are some of the risks of this or what are the concerns that you're hearing about and seeing as you've really um, gone deeper on this? Yeah. So before I, I discuss the implications for education, cause I've actually thought a great deal about this and I'm in the process of engaging with my kid's school on developing an AI, an AI policy and holding sessions with students and teachers on how to, um, make constructive use of, of the tech. But in terms of where things can go wrong kind of professionally um, for the use cases that we discussed before, right? The creation of an estate plan or a will, et cetera. I think, first of all, people are concerned about, about privacy. And I think yeah. that's a legitimate concern. There is an option on the subscription version of ChatGPT for you to decide to not share your personal, you know, the, the data in your chat with OpenAI, they, by default, you will share the general uh, context of your chat with OpenAI to help them improve their models. Um, but you can turn that off and ostensibly then you will not be sharing your personal information if, if in fact you're going through an exercise where you're um, inputting personal information into the machine, you're, you would hope. And in fact, several companies have large companies like JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley have done extensive due diligence on OpenAI to, de to determine that in fact, that data is not being shared with, with OpenAI. So I have reasonably high confidence with it. Although by, as a practice, we do not view, use this with, with personal data um, for people at work yet. Um, and it's not really on the horizon. There's just so many other great use cases for it, frankly. Yeah. Um, but that is certainly a concern. And I think every person that uses it needs to get their own level of comfort with it. And I know um, there's a continuum of people's level of, of tolerance or comfort with privacy and, and sharing information, et cetera. And I think everybody needs to be, if a professional is gonna be using an AI with a person's personal information, I think that that should have to be disclosed by that professional, that professional organization in advance. And I think we're pretty close to getting some rules on the books to enforce that, which I think is great. Um, what about real quick? I, you know, I, I, I read mostly headlines and, and don't have a ton of time to dive in deep, but every now and then you hear of situations where people have gone in and, and asked enough questions and knew enough of the answers or, or where it's, it's not always as accurate maybe as you'd like it to be, or it's not hundred percent accurate to the point. Even I saw a blurb today um, where some attorneys in New York used it. Um, as part of a lawsuit, and it basically made up cases that they used as part of their argument that then when the judge and the opposing counsel tried to find them, they could not track down these cases. So what, how does that pop up? How does that show up? Or how, how is, you know, open AI or GPT creating these things that don't exist to make some of their answers or which I imagine is where some of the risk of this is going wrong is over confidence in the results. Great. Um, a great topic. Um, there are some absolutely some, first of all, there's some techniques you can use when interacting with these language models that dramatically reduce the probability that they're going to um, hallucinate, which is sort right. of the technical it's term for what yeah. this is. Um, so, I mean, in, first of all, I mean, 
it's absurd that an attorney is not going to get their the, 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 the citations yeah. and precedents, right? Yes, um, agreed. But uh, and and it's strange because GPT four, when I first started to use it, you used to be able to prompt the chat interface to include citations or sources in when it produced its its um, output. And with the chat GPT interface, it no longer is doing that. And I think GP, I think OpenAI actually has, has on the back end substantially altered and perhaps truncated some of the capabilities of uh, GPT-4 with the chat interface because it's, it does seem to have fewer capabilities um, and be capable of less sophisticated theory of mind and synthesis type work than it was when I first started using it even you know, uh, five or six weeks ago. You can also get access to GPT-4 through um, a software access point called an API. And I haven't noticed a the same degradation there. Um, so you can ask it for sources. So when it, when it makes assertions, you can, you can say specifically, cite your sources with links yep. and it will produce those sources and you can say, do not hallucinate if you don't know and if you don't have, if you can't find a source for the answer, uh, just say you don't know and do not hallucinate. And yeah. that eliminates sort of 90% of these kind of hallucinations. But even then, of course, you should go through and you should click on all the citations and yeah. you should ensure that all of the assertions that are made in, in, the, text, in the text by the LLM are have a a commensurate citation, right? Like it doesn't um, obviate the responsibility and liability of a professional that's using this tool to aid him or her in their job capacity, right? It's right. a phenomenal tool. It's you know call it version two of this tool. Um, it's substantially handicapped um, if you're just using the plain vanilla. GPT-4 model because it hasn't been trained on any private data, right? So where, you know, there are private companies that own 90% of all the documents associated with, with US case law. So it's only been trained on a small fraction of yeah. the available information. It's, you know, it's only been trained on a small fraction of um, available medical documents or, you know, fortunately most pure science documents are located on archive or SSRN or in public repositories. So it tends to have a, a higher level of expertise in most pure sciences, but where there's a professional or a, like a firm intermediary that owns all of the, or most of the publication data that is the knowledge corpus of that field, it's not gonna be well-trained on it. However, there are fine-tuned models with GPT-4 or another quasi equivalently sophisticated model on the back end, but that have had access and have been tuned on all of the uh, private data in that domain and which are, you know, um, are able to match human level output in, the, in those domains and or exceed them in, um, a majority of instances. So, I mean, this is a nascent field that is growing rapidly, but every professional is still 
you know, on the hook to make sure that they're giving professional grade advice based on legitimate research or precedents or, or what have you and signing off on the fact that, that they've reviewed it and, and that they acknowledge that it's it's correct and, and accurate. And I think it was in your podcast on the RCM. I believe it was that one where you guys didn't, because you know, the risk people think about is, okay, is my job going to go away? And, you know, is there going to be an attorney and a, a CPA, a wealth manager, those things? And I believe it might have been you um, uh, or Taylor that talked. There's going to need to be a human to be sued um, still around, right? You can't get rid of all the, the people because right now you can't sue a computer program if they're wrong, right? If these attorneys made a mistake and and you, you overly relied on uh, information that wasn't accurate, you know, who do you sue um, in that scenario? But beyond that, uh, but I do think that's a lot of the risk of just robots, uh, computers, AI in general, it's always the, the big topic of people's, well, what are the implications for your, for, for jobs, human jobs? Um, and so I don't, I know that that could be a very long topic. We don't, I don't want you to, you know, have to spend too much time thinking through that, but, but maybe just a high level, what, what your view of it is at, at this point. And then we can go to the education because I think that's such a big topic that a lot of our clients are thinking about with their kids and grandkids and the implications there, but maybe touch on the big one that people think about is, you know, are all the jobs going away? Um, and they're all going to have to just live on, you know, some form of payment from the government. And then what does this mean? You know, do we have to learn anything anymore? Because now we can just get really good at asking AI questions to give us the answers. Well, I think if we were to barrel headlong in along the current innovation trajectory for these models, there is a risk of a pretty substantial um, disruption in the workplace. I mean, you need a lot fewer professionals to review and sign off on professional documents then you need to actually write and get and, and research in order to write um, professional documents. You know, you need a lot fewer accountants to sign off on uh, audits and, and accounting analysis that's done by automated machines than you do to actually work the accounting software, aggregate data, um, et cetera, right? So you need a lot fewer, ostensibly you need a lot fewer diagnosticians in medicine, radiologists, um, um, potentially lab, lab workers, et cetera, um, or people that are kind of working in a clinical diagnostic setting. Um, if computers end up being substantially better diagnosticians than humans, as is being proven out in, in a number of, of domains, right? But at the same time, we don't have a legal infrastructure that allows for humans to be replaced in a lot of jobs very quickly. So, you know, even while the technology may scale in capability to the point where it's able to technically exceed the competency of equivalent professionals in a wide variety of domains. There's research already that demonstrates that it, that it already does that with some, with some caveats. Um, we just don't have the, the norms, the, the regulatory environment or the legal architecture to be able to facilitate that. And, you know, in the short time, I, short term, I think there's a, there may be a real opportunity cost 
you know, in medicine, especially, you know, the existing medical models are only trained on the most vanishingly small percentage of available multimodal medical data because the vast majority of that data is in um, private databases that are that are heavily guarded by privacy policies, right? Oh. And so unless we can build models based on, you know, uh, not just x-rays and MRI and, and et cetera, but also physician notes and blood tests, you know, blood work scores and urinalysis and all this kind of stuff for a, um, a given patient, you know, in the context of, of given conditions, then we're nowhere close to realizing our, our capabilities there. There, yeah. is, there are very powerful reasons why we need to move slowly there. Right. right. Obviously, privacy is a huge critical component, but it's not like there's not a huge opportunity cost. And yeah. there's all every indication that we are going to be able to diagnose and potentially uh, treat and or cure a huge variety of highly prevalent and miserable conditions. Yeah. If we provide if we use these models effectively on this vast uh, corpus of data. So there's lives at stake as well, right? So, you know, it used to be that there was a low cost to maintaining this sort of sclerotic, complex web of norms and policies and regulations and, and legal architecture. As this tech accelerates in its capabilities, the opportunity costs get larger and larger, right? Yep. And I think we need to not just contemplate the risks in terms of, you know, not adhering to current guidelines, but also the opportunity costs and the risks of, you know, millions and millions of people dying or living in, in misery for with conditions that we would otherwise be able to diagnose and, and much better manage. So, you know, it's, there's, there's always these trade-offs. I personally yep. think that we're going to see a major loss uh, or shedding of uh, of jobs in professional areas because the people that are going to be required to generate the, the largely written or analytical content that is the embodiment of, you know, 50 to 75% of the total work product in those, in those domains is going to be better performed by machines very soon. Yeah. But as we already talked about, the legal and, and regulatory apparatus will require humans to be responsible, reviewing, signing off, and be available for consequences in the event and, of... And I, and I mentioned that, that privacy discussion is definitely going to extend out the time. I mean, that's, that's definitely going to be a big one, to, a big hurdle uh, to, to work through. Yeah. All right. So... Well, I know we're, we're going pretty long. I'm sure we could talk for hours on this stuff. Um, I want to touch on education real quick, and then I, uh, I want to wrap up just with your experience so far, just some, some of the best kind of plugins, tools that you've been using that I think uh, that you think anybody watching or listening would, would get the most value from. So, um, so but first, you know, since you've started to really work on that area and, and talking to your, your kid's school about policies and how that should work, what what are your thoughts on that so far in terms of opportunity and implications of something like this? Yeah. So um, first of all, 
I was the catalyst for my motivation to start thinking about implications for education uh, was that my son in a rush decided he was going to use uh, GPT-4 to write a history essay. And it was flagged by his history teacher who was um, uh, more up to speed on, you know, this, this tech, I think, than, than many teachers at the time. This was probably six weeks ago or more. Um, and that, so then I went in and spoke to the teacher and, and she was very thoughtful, I thought. But then I also thought about how can we use these tools constructively to, first of all, give students a more, more um, regular and constructive feedback on their work product um, without telling them the answers. And then also to help um, guide and structure student thinking for a, a, a wide variety of, of, at the moment, primarily kind of um, written report style subjects, right? So thinking English literature or history, um, psychology, sociology, that, that kind of stuff, right? Um, so I actually built, I first built an app where a student guides the, the language model by entering his grade or her grade, um, the subject, so call it grade 10 English literature, the instructions. Uh, so write a thesis driven essay about, um, you know, with, references from the text, whatever, the mm -hmm. actual prompt. So um, describe Macbeth's descent into madness, um, et cetera. And then the rubric, right? So what, what are the set of criteria that the student is going to be marked against in order to get an A? And then the student has to upload their draft, right? Their first draft. And the output of the tool is a set of questions in Socratic format that guide the student to inquire of their own first draft, you know, what very specific elements of my draft with reference to the subject matter, can they um, improve in order to improve the score, right? So in this paragraph, you describe, you, you make a, a thesis statement and you describe a couple of the major points from your body paragraphs. Are there any other points in your body paragraphs that you missed and that you should add here? In body paragraph one, you describe sequential you know, symbolism that Shakespeare used. Um, you, know, you, you, have, you cite two examples. Can, is, is there another example? Right, yeah. like just so very specific to both the assignment and the subject matter and the rubric and the grade level to guide a student to, you know, do his, do his or her own work. But if they do their own work and, and answer these guided questions and, and produce a, a new uh, version or a new draft, it is what better position to, to deliver an A plus, right? The idea is to not, not to take away teaching kids how to learn, right? I think that's the risk is, you know, um, if, if we make it too easy on kids to get the answer, how do they actually learn how to solve problems anymore? If it's just learning how to prompt 
a tool, which, you know, there's value in that. But um, I think that's probably the biggest concern I would have um, with it. Yeah, I just, I think the goal is to help. I mean, what kind of skills are going to be most useful in the future? I think actually at, at the current moment, that's an extraordinarily hard question to answer. You know, I have, yeah. three, I have three children. Um, I, have a, I have a daughter who's going into, into engineering because it's sort of general critical thinking and problem solving. You know, I don't expect her to be a chemical engineer necessarily. She might be, but really I just want somebody who is extremely well-practiced at critical thinking in a variety of different technical domains. Um, but I think this sort of critical thinking and critical analysis are broadly going to be very useful skills uh, going forward. And so, you know, teaching kids to think systematically, think critically, and provide some structure to how you think critically in different subject areas, areas, I think, I mean, when you think about the process of teaching, a student submits a draft or a, 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 a teacher discusses a subject with his, with his or her class. And then they provide instructions in a rubric and they guide the student on writing their first draft. And then presumably the teacher reviews the draft and gives the student feedback. The feedback is not include this example, you know, whatever it is asking questions to, so that the student will themselves go back to the work, think critically in order to flesh out their, their report to get it to an A plus level. But you know, the reality is that the teacher has a limited amount of time to do that. If yeah. we can create a teaching assistant that allows the teacher to spend a lot more time for lesson planning about how to, you know, discuss the, the topic and make the classroom experience more engaging and useful rather than spending their time marking and giving feedback on essays, maybe that's a better use of, of their time and a great way to pair this new tech with the unique qualities of real live teachers to make the entire learning experience more effective. I think that's great. And again, I, I think education is probably another topic we could go on probably for hours on and, and opportunity and risk. But um, as we wrap up for today, um, because of, again, the experience you've had, and, and, and I think it's, it's very applicable to obviously what I'm doing. And we didn't really even get into you know, the implications for the investment world, you know, I think that again, it's, there's so much, you know, I think it was JP Morgan that filed a patent for uh, uh, an index GPT title for a, for a investment solution that they're going to be utilizing. So I think, again, we could probably spend hours on the implications there, but, um, and maybe we'll have to come back around again in the next couple of months and do a, do an updated show just on the investment world. But before we wrap up today, just given your, you know, six, seven weeks of, of deep dive on this, what are some of the, the if someone wants to get started other than, you know, uh, buying the subscription for for chat GPT or GPT-4 and starting to just learn the, the process. What are some of the the best tools and 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 ad plugins that you've been using that have, you know, been the most valuable or the most interesting that you've discovered in the last, you know, six, seven weeks? Right. So, I mean, keep in mind, a lot of my use cases are, um, you know, either A, oriented around how to kind of scale my own business or B, how to improve or scale our analytical capabilities, right? Um, the new code interpreter from uh, OpenAI is effectively a way to write and execute code for analysis by using plain language. So 
you know, you don't need to be a data scientist. You don't need to be a programmer. Um, all you need to have is curiosity about uh, your own data in order to be able to ask questions and have an AI create charts, tables, and, and all manner of analytics from plain language inquiry and questions, um, which I think is just going to be, they haven't publicly released this yet, but I think that's going to be a game changer for so many different um, industries. Another really important use case is being able to query your own data, right? So internally, we um, obviously we have a bunch of compliance documents. We host our own uh, podcast. We've got hundreds of podcast transcripts. We've written, as you know, a pile of different white papers. We've written uh, hundreds of blog posts over the years. It's a really great use case to be able to go back to all of that data in your knowledge corpus and ask questions about it, right? Yeah. Um, so creating tools and like, how does that help? It empowers the marketing team to write new blogs. It empowers the sales team to be able to answer specific questions about our products or concepts that we talk about in podcasts or in white papers without having to write those com complete answers out themselves. Um, it helps our compliance team to fill out uh, due diligence questionnaires or uh, regulatory questionnaires, et cetera, right? So just querying over your, your own data, you yeah. know, there's, there's the chat PDF is a popular plugin for, um, for chat GPT that is really useful. Uh, Wolfram Alpha also is a plugin for chat GPT. So, I mean, one thing the language models are not currently experts at um, are symbolic math problems or a complex kind of math problems. They're decent at addition, subtraction. Once you get into multipl multiplication or division or anything that requires um, the associative property or anything, you know, any more complex symbolic reasoning, it's not well suited to that. But what it can do is realize this question requires symbolic reasoning. So I'm now going to um, form, formulate a query to Wolfram Alpha that specializes in symbolic math and symbolic reasoning and have Wolfram Alpha produce an answer, which it will then send back to me. And I will translate that answer in math form to written English to explain what that answer is, right? So here's the actual math output and here's what it means in the context of, of your question, right? Yeah. Um, so that's it. I mean, any sort of summary synthesis or lookup task are, are, are perfect templates for where you might just start to get familiar with the the power of the technology. I mean, it'll book your restaurant for you on OpenTable as well. It'll, yeah. it'll find a, a rental unit for you in in Dallas. You know, like it, it it can do all kinds of things. It really just go into the plugins and you know if you have a, a use case. I'm going to Portugal this summer. It it helped to guide. You know, here's a potential. Here's three potential travel plans for you. Here are some. Airbnbs that you might want to consider staying in along the way that are in the price range and that have four bedrooms and two bathrooms, et cetera, right? So, I mean, the, the use cases here are limited really by your imagination. I love it. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up there. Um, I think, again, it's just uh, so much to to take in initially. And But Adam, I really appreciate your time. This has been, you know, I, as I'm just sitting here listening to you, I'm thinking up 10, 15 ideas on my own of just how we could use it, not only for myself uh, personally and our family, but, but for our clients. And, and uh, you know, one thing I, when I tell young advisors and our team coming in is one of the things I was good at for clients, I was just a better Googler than them. 
Um, and that's a lot of our value is just being able to understand how to ask the right questions in Google. And it sounds like this could be similar where a lot of our value initially can be, we're just better at understanding the prompts and, and getting to the answers quicker to, to bring value to clients and others that we might be using this for as well. So it's um, looking forward to spending some more time on this and, and appreciate you uh, uh, pushing me to you know think more uh, creatively about it ourselves and how we're going to use it. So thank you for your time. Absolute pleasure. As you can tell, it's, it's become a real passion of mine and happy right. to chat about it anytime. All right. Thanks, Adam. Really appreciate so it. Much. You too. All righty. Beautiful. Appreciate you both gentlemen. Yeah. Really a nice deep dive here today into it. And yeah, Adam, I think it would be, it would take a series of episodes to really get granular on just about everything that I know you want to share with, with AI and, and everything that we should be up to date on because it's changing each day, each month. And of course the years to come, but I appreciate you both that uh, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and let you guys get back to doing, doing what you do best and that's serving clients. But most importantly, we want to say one final thank you to our audience for stopping by and being with us on the show today. If you did take anything away from the day's discussion you benefited from it in any way shape or form well then make sure you hit that subscribe button then on whichever platform you checked us out on today that way you never miss out on a future episode where homer and i sit down dive into another wealth management topic maybe we've got a great guest on just like adam here today uh and you know vet these wealth management topics and strategies so that you and yours can come out better for it on the other end before Homer and Adam, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long today, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on Advance Your Wealth. All opinions expressed by Homer Smith are solely Smith's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Integrated Wealth Concepts, LLC, Integrated, or its parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated by Smith on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Smith as a specific inducement to make particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Smith's opinions are based on information he considers reliable, but neither integrated nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Smith, integrated, its affiliates and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Smith's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither Smith nor integrated guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed by Smith or anyone else. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or in the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned by Smith. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Investment advice offered through Integrated Financial Partners, a registered investment advisor. Integrated Financial Partners provides investment advisory services through several doing business as names. The information in this material is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Integrated Financial Partners does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice, or services. Integrated Partners and Convergent Wealth Partners are separate entities from Resolve Asset Management Global. 